Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to The Other Half. Episode 2.16, Sophia, Fulfilling the Prophecy. The daughters of Queen Victoria were born between 1840 and 1857. They lived through what Winston Churchill once described as the, quote, august, unchallenged, tranquil glories of the Victorian era. They were all born closer to the date of the Battle of Waterloo than the Battle of the Somme. They helped sustain the world that would eventually collapse into chaos and war, and it would be their children that would both suffer the consequences and play a great part in what would unfold. Now, we did eventually cover all of Queen Victoria's five daughters to one extent or another, three in detail and two in a single episode, and it took us 15 episodes to do that, if we include the introductory ones. If we were to do the same for all of her 22 grandchildren, we would be at it for the next three years. So... Yeah, we're not going to do that. Instead, I have cherry-picked six of them to cover in this series, though I do reserve the right to change my mind halfway through, and if you all know me well, which I guess you do by now, I probably will. But, assuming I don't, all of those six, bar one, became queens of European nations. Two of them were murdered, two sent into exile, one was forced from home by her son, and one, just one, managed to have a good life and death in her new kingdom. Our stories will take us from Scandinavia to Greece, from Spain to Russia. And while not all of them lived in countries that fought in the First World War, the conflict touched all of them, some though to a far greater degree than others. But before we get going with starting this second part of the season, I would like to do a bit of housekeeping. In keeping with the never-ending change that has been my life over the last year or so, I am moving house again in a few days. 
this time to my first ever proper house that I own with money. Crazy, eh? Now, this all came together very quickly and, frankly, at a very inconvenient time for the podcast. I intend to keep going with the show as planned, but it may well be that the episodes could be a little shorter than normal, just like this one, and there could be a break in episodes should things all pile up, because, to put it frank, walls don't paint themselves and possessions don't jump out of boxes. I will, of course, keep you all posted in all the usual ways. And of course, I'd also like to thank all of my amazing Patreon supporters, including my newest patron, Cheryl. If you'd like to support the show, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash the other half podcast and send me a pound slash buck or two. Anything you can give, particularly in this very expensive time, would be very much appreciated. All right, let's get going. To all my new listeners, welcome. To the rest of you, Welcome back. Sophia, sometimes anglicised as Sophie, Dorothea Ulrika Alice was born on the 14th of June 1870 at the New Palace in Potsdam. She was born into a world of feverish activity. Her nation, Prussia, was on the brink of war with France. Almost all the men present at her birth, including her father, Crown Prince Fritz, were dressed in military uniform and departed quickly for their divisions after her birth. Her mother, Crown Princess Vicky, eldest daughter of Queen Victoria, remember her? Remembered Sophia's christening as being a rather miserable occasion, full of, quote, anxious faces and tearful eyes, and a gloom and foreshadowing of all the misery in store spread a serious cloud over the ceremony, which should have been one of gladness and thanksgiving. Of course, Vicky's worries proved unfounded and the Franco-Prussian War would be the crowning glory of Prussia and its ruling Hohenzollern family, forming the German Empire in 1871. Now, I am sure that you all remember Vicky's story absolutely perfectly, and can recite all of her children from memory. Unfortunately, I couldn't, so I had to look this up again, so I will, I'm sure, just for my own benefit, repeat them to you. They were, and I'm sure you're all shouting their names at me right now, Wilhelm? Charlotte, Henry, Sigismund, Victoria, better known as Moretta, Valdemar, and then Sophia, followed two years later by her little sister Margaret, also known as Mossy. In the series on Vicky, I stated that you can broadly divide Vicky's children into two camps. In the first, you can put her three eldest, Wilhelm, Charlotte, and Henry. Each then had very difficult relationships with their mother, being far closer to their Prussian relations than their liberal parents. Her youngest three daughters, Victoria, Sophia and Margaret, were closer to their mother and stuck by her even while those around her wished her ill. The eagle-eared amongst you will notice that I didn't mention Sigismund and Valdemar, but of course they all died young, so they don't really need to fit into this model. Sophia's childhood was a relatively happy one. 
with her eldest sisters receiving the lion's share of the attention from the emperor and ruling establishment, she was more or less left alone to be raised with her mother. Like the rest of her siblings, she spent a great deal of time in the UK, particularly at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight, exploring its beaches and bonding with other members of their huge extended family. She loved their grandmother, Queen Victoria, far more than her paternal grandparents, who are constantly at odds with each other and frequently scolded her and her sisters. Now, we all remember that Vicky and Fritz were liberals and wanted to direct Germany on a path that would see it diplomatically and philosophically aligned with the UK. That was the principal reason why, of course, Queen Victoria and her husband Albert had sent their daughter to marry Fritz in the first place. Vicky had been on the receiving end of a top-class education and was determined that her daughters get the same opportunities that she had. Therefore, Sophia began her schooling around the age of four and from there she began a daily regimen of lessons and exercise with breaks only for meals. Vicky was involved in her education but the day-to-day activities were run by a team of governesses. She was very close to her brother Valdemar and so was devastated when he suddenly died of diphtheria a month after his 11th birthday in 1879. His death saw her mother and her other sisters, Moretta and Mossy, close ranks. Vicky called them her Kleeblatt, or cloverleaf. Wilhelm, however, dismissed them as his mother's, quote, English colony. The new German imperial monarchy was keen to spread its tentacles, And of course, a great way to build and cement alliances was through marriage. The great foreign policy question in Germany in the late 19th century was where they should look for their foreign policy, east or west. Of course, Fritz, Vicky and their allies wanted them to look to Britain and its liberal tradition, whereas Bismarck and his cronies wanted to keep Russia close from both a defensive but also a philosophical point of view. Bismarck's son, who worked at the German embassy in St. Petersburg, pushed the idea of marrying Sophia to the Grand Duke Nicholas, the Tsarevich and heir to the throne. The idea never went anywhere, but there is an intriguing alternate universe out there where Sophia became the Empress of Russia instead of her cousin Alex of Hesse. History may have turned out quite differently if she had. In 1887, Queen Victoria celebrated her Golden Jubilee, only the fifth British monarch to that point to ever reach that milestone. This was quite possibly the most star-studded event in history up to that point. Fifty foreign rulers and princes were invited, along with representatives from across the British Empire. It was a massive party, and at centre stage were Vicky, Fritz and their children. Sophia would have attracted far less attention than her elder siblings, especially her eldest brother Wilhelm, but she was still in the heart of the celebrations. And it is there, while in the bosom of her massive extended family, that she met Constantine for the first time. Three years her senior, Constantine, known affectionately as Tino, was the heir to the throne of Greece and a nephew of Alexandra, the Princess of Wales and was apparently a very strikingly handsome young man. Tall, fair-haired, with deep blue eyes, he was a bit of a catch, 
And that's before you consider his very jovial personality, which struck a great contrast to the pervading melancholy that had surrounded the new palace over the past year. It's no wonder that Sophia would have been attracted to him. The two of them spent quite a bit of time together in their extended stay with Queen Victoria, and their romance blossomed in that hot summer. Indeed, they were so obvious with their affections that Victoria remarked to Vicky, quote, Is there a chance of Sophie's marrying Tino? It would be very nice for her, for he is very good. But, of course, her joy at this budding new relationship was quickly snuffed out in the horrible, terrible, no-good year of 1888. Her father, Fritz, had been very badly ill for quite some time, and it seemed only a matter of time before he succumbed. Indeed, it was somewhat a surprise when he managed to outlive his father and become the German Kaiser, succeeding to his throne. On the 14th of June that year, Sophia's 18th birthday, the Kaiser insisted that he, Vicky, and their three youngest children take a boating trip together at their beloved new palace complex in Potsdam. That morning, the three young girls rushed down, excited to take the trip. There, they met their father, who handed Sophia a bouquet. In a letter to her mother, Vicky recalled that, quote, With a pleasant smile, he asked after her at once, and wanted us to do something to amuse her. What a birthday for the poor child! What a recollection for the whole of her life! At nine she came over with her sisters. He embraced her and gave her the bouquet, looked at her so kindly, and did not appear sad or depressed. But there was to be no trip. Fritz was far too ill to be moved that day, and on the following day, he died, after only 99 days as Emperor of Germany, handing the succession off to Sophia's brother, Wilhelm. Now, we all know about Wilhelm's relationship with his mother. It sucked. No sooner had the Kaiser died than his son and successor surrounded the palace with troops and had them turn it upside down, looking for anything incriminating. The distraught dowager empress was forced to flee to another residence with her three youngest daughters. This was too much to bear for the four women. They had lost a husband and father, and now they felt they had lost a son and brother as well. They clung together in their sorrow, taking comfort in one another. As Vicky said, quote, I have my three sweet girls that are my consolation. Wilhelm further soured relations with his sisters by blocking the impending nuptials of Moretta to Prince Alexander of Battenberg, the one-time claimant to the Bulgarian throne and wooer of Princess Beatrice. The prospective marriage had been one of Vicky's pet projects, but had been vehemently opposed by the establishment, most notably Bismarck, who feared how the Russians would react. This devastated an already distraught family. Esme Howard, a secretary at the British Embassy in Berlin, remarked of the, quote, terrific atmosphere of mourning which pervaded the whole place after the death of the Emperor Frederick. The Empress herself, the three princesses, were dressed in crepe from head to foot. The long room in which we sat was scarcely lighted, with the exception of one large picture of the Emperor Frederick, the frame of which was dressed in crepe. This dominated the entire scene, and made it almost impossible to forget his tragic death. But amongst all of the sadness, there was some joy for another of the Hohenzollern sisters. 
Constantine, the Duke of Sparta and heir to the Greek throne, was a candidate that Wilhelm could get behind as a prospective husband for one of his sisters. He had spent quite a bit of time ingratiating himself with both halves of Sophia's family, first at Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee, and then again at the funeral of Sophia's grandfather, the original Kaiser Wilhelm, where he represented the Greek royal family. Indeed, he was very familiar with Berlin, as he had been sent to study at the German Military Academy after graduating from its Greek counterpart, and served for a time in the German Imperial Guard. His mother was a Romanov, another tick in the column, and as a future king of Greece, he could be a valuable ally for Germany. The Balkans, as before, as always, was a very unstable part of Europe. It was surrounded by the decaying Austro-Hungarian Empire to the north and the positively dying Ottoman Empire to the east. It was a tinderbox that could and eventually would go off, and having a strategic ally in the most powerful independent nation in the region could pay off handsomely for Germany. And of course, on the other hand, it couldn't hurt for Constantine to marry into the most powerful military nation on the continent. He and Sophia were engaged on the 3rd of September, 1888. They were both extremely happy. Wilhelm and Bismarck were delighted, but Vicky had some misgivings. She recorded in her diary, quote, If only the bridegroom were not so young, and Greece so far away, and one of the elements in the unsolved and dangerous Eastern question. She did, though, go on to say, quote, He is very nice, and charming, and well brought up. Queen Victoria had no such reservations, writing to Vicky, quote, Let me wish you joy and satisfaction over dear Sophie's engagement. Tino is a good, steady young man, and Sophie loves him very much, and he comes from and belongs to loving parents and a very united, loving family. And this is a priceless blessing. Their wedding took place on the 27th of October 1889, and has been described as being one of the first great international occasions in modern Greek history. I'll talk more about this in the next episode, but Greece had only been an independent nation since 1832, when it had won its independence war against the Ottomans. This wedding, which took place in Athens, was the ultimate union of royal houses, as the blood of the rulers of Denmark, the UK, Russia, Germany and Greece flowed in the veins of the bride and groom. As one might expect from such an august royal bloodline, the guest list was pretty swanky as well. The King and Queen of Denmark were there, along with the Prince and Princess of Wales, the Tsarevich and Kaiser Wilhelm, and a number of each of their relations. Like most weddings, however, things didn't exactly go to plan. You know what weddings are like. There's always one guest who gets super offended easily and that you accidentally slight and one thing that the bride needs that someone forgets. Both of those things happened on Sophia's wedding day. For the former, when the Kaiser arrived with his wife, he was not greeted off his yacht at the port, which he took as a personal slight, though then again he seems to have taken most things as a personal slight. As for the latter, it was the wedding veil, which had inexplicably been left in Germany, forcing the bride to acquire a new one at a shop in Athens. Greece's capital city greeted their new Duchess of Sparta with a cascade of decoration, 
with laurels and bunting in all the main streets, and the roads filled with people, all in colourful traditional costumes. They were all itching to see the future Queen of Greece, and those that did would not have been disappointed, as she was apparently festooned with embroidered jewels as she was driven through the city with her fiancé to the Metropolitan Cathedral of Athens. This was a relatively new building, and this was one of the grandest occasions it had ever hosted. Now, those alert amongst you out there will have noticed something a bit different about this wedding. The two of them were not of the same faith. Sophia, like all her family, was a Protestant, while Constantine, like his family, was Greek Orthodox. Now, we haven't covered one of these weddings on this podcast yet, though those of you that remember the Queens of England days will remember the weddings of some of the Stuart kings to their Catholic brides. It was entirely expected that Sophia would convert to her husband's faith, but there hadn't been time for that before the day's ceremony, which meant that when she entered the cathedral, it was probably the first time she had ever set foot inside an Orthodox church, not to mention this being her first ever service in that faith. Members of her family, who are no more familiar with Greek Orthodox faiths than she was, remarked on how slow the whole thing was, how theatrical it was too with all the incense, crowns, icons and candles, and how elaborately dressed the bearded priests were. The bride and groom were on their feet for over an hour during the service, and by all accounts it was oppressively hot. The whole thing culminated with Sophia and Constantine walking around a gold table, topped with a copy of the Bible, three times, carrying tapered candles. To be honest, it all sounds like a bit of an ordeal. However, when they emerged from the chapel, it was to a raucous welcome. Sophia's new brother-in-law, Prince Nicholas, remarked that, quote, The enthusiasm of the people was unprecedented. There was a reason for the Athenian jubilation, because they saw this whole day as the fulfilling of a great prophecy. Both the bride and groom had very significant names. Constantine was named for Constantine the Great, the first Christian Roman emperor and founder of the city of Constantinople. The recovery of this city, which the Greeks saw as rightfully theirs, was a key foreign policy goal for Greece. Sophia's name was also linked to that city, as she shared it with what was once the greatest church in Christendom, the Cathedral of Hagia Sophia in Constantinople. The bringing together of these two people, of such royal blood and with such august names, was seen as a portent of future glory for the fledgling Greek state. Prince Nicholas said that, quote, The Greek people felt at last that they were nearing the realisation of their lifelong dream, the dream that had lasted throughout the dark centuries of slavery, the dream that had saved their souls from despair. No wonder they gave the couple such a great welcome. The service was then followed by a brief Protestant wedding service in deference to Sophia's old faith in the king's private chapel, conducted by his chaplain. There was then a private family lunch, followed by a more elaborate public banquet, attended by a panoply of guests, which I imagine was both exhilarating and rather overwhelming. And then finally, the day culminated with a spectacular fireworks display over the Acropolis, bathing the Parthenon and all the ancient buildings on that hill in greens and reds. And with that, 
it was all over. Over the next few days, the guests departed. Kaiser Wilhelm, still smarting from his lack of welcome, left without saying goodbye to his sister, though he did make sure to bid farewell to literally everyone else. Real charm of that guy. Vicky, however, had a very different, far more emotional goodbye for her daughter. Although she was the fourth of her children to be married, Sophia was the first to have left Germany, and of course the first of her favourite trio of daughters to fly the coop. She later remarked to her mother, Queen Victoria, quote, My trio is broken up now, and I feel it bitterly. But she also felt great pride in her daughter, remarking, quote, My darling Sophie, who looks so sweet and grave and calm, my little lamb. Sophia too knew that this was a seminal moment in her life and was very emotional. She wrote to her mother, quote, I also miss you dreadfully. It seems too odd not to have you anywhere. It was too disgustingly awful, that saying goodbye the other day, and I never thanked you half enough for all your trouble and care for me. I am so touched by all you have done, and hope you know how grateful I am and always will be. Your loving and obedient little child, Sophie. And that seems as good a place as any to leave you for today. Next time, we will see Sophia try to settle into her new kingdom with her new husband. Vicky wasn't wrong for worrying about sending her daughter to such a turbulent part of the world. And Sophia would need to keep her wits about her if she wanted to survive in this rather alien world. make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.